Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told him, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second, a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And that is the word. Amen. Thanks, Bo. You can grab a seat. We are on our 40-day march to Easter, and we are about to reach our halfway point here this week. We're four weeks out, and on Sundays, we're beholding Jesus by looking to the scriptures in Matthew that uh, tell us of his last moments before his crucifixion and his resurrection. And today, we get to go to the garden, not the one that we came from, but Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe that this is actually one of the most profound and beautiful and clarifying moments that we get to see Jesus for who he truly is. And Jesus is truly God. And Jesus is truly man. He is what Colossians 2, 9 says, in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. He is truly God, and He is truly human, and it is truly a mystery that I will not fully explain, but hopefully will fully enjoy with you guys this morning. He's going to do what only He can do as the Son of God, but He's also human, and He does and experienced what we all here experience. He's acquainted with with our life. Isaiah 53:3 He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Jesus isn't an unfazed superhero. He is truly man and truly God, and there is truly no one like him. And I had a sense this week as we were preparing for this uh, message that we needed this reminder. I think each one of us needs this reminder, but specifically I think that there are some of us in this family that are walking through some of the most painful experiences in our life. And we desperately need to know that Jesus is Lord. And we desperately need to know that Jesus has walked in our shoes before us. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. There is a temptation in this season for many of us to just quit, 
just walk away, just hang it up in many different forms. And Jesus gets it. Jesus understands the feeling. He actually gets you more than you get you. Jesus also loves us, thankfully. He doesn't just get us and is annoyed with us. He loves us, and he wants to lead us to true life, which means we don't get to go around pain and suffering. Some of us come to faith in Jesus hoping he's going to, like, you know, Star Trek beam us out of all of our junk. But what he does, shockingly, is just join us and walk us inch by inch, suffering by suffering through this life with us. I also believe that there's some of us here in this family that maybe we're not walking through an extremely painful time, but I think that maybe some of us have become so familiar with Jesus that we're actually missing out on who he really is. We're missing out because we've already made up our minds that we know all there is to know about this. Like you took the advanced courses. You can answer all of the Bible trivia questions. I know that you can think, I get it. I I watched Chosen all three seasons, three times through. I get it. It's another Sunday. I get it. I've heard this passage before. I get it. Another Easter, another worship gathering. I get it. I understand. I get it. I get it. But the Christian life is actually not about you getting it as much as it is about it getting you, about him getting you, about Christ getting a hold of every square inch of your heart and your mind and your soul. This is what the Christian life is. In Luke's gospel account, when he tells this story of the garden, he actually says Jesus went out as usual to the garden to pray. Praying in the garden was something that all of his disciples were familiar with. This was not a new thing. This may have actually been a part of what caused them to fall asleep in this moment. Familiarity. I've seen this before. Jesus is going to go do his Jesus thing. We just get to have some free lunch and we'll take some notes and he's going to take care of us. And I think the same thing can cause us to miss out on what Jesus is actually accomplishing in your life in this season. What he's calling you to in this season. We're sleepy and we're bored. We've lost our curiosity We've lost our awe and wonder. Can you believe this is true? Like what we just sang, the gospel, this is true. And it's just not that exciting anymore for some of us. We get it and we're moving on. And some of us have gotten stuck in a religious routine and we're actually sleepy inside of our spirits. We can feel detached uneasy, kind of on autopilot in this season, like, yeah, yeah, I'm just here. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my thing. And Jesus is actually inviting us to come a little bit closer today, I think, and probably a little bit closer in the ways that we feel a little bit uncomfortable with. Jesus tells his followers to come with them and watch. Did you notice that? 
Come and watch with me. This is Jesus' invitation for us this morning. You don't have to do anything right now. You just fix your eyes on him. You've got lots of questions. I got lots of questions. I so badly, this week, I so badly wanted to just hit the fast forward button and just get over whatever this week was. The, the feelings that I had of kind of helplessness and the feelings I had of disappointment and, and pain. And I just wanted it to be done with. And then Jesus was like, hey, let's preach about this. Oh, cool. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that. And it's not even just like for my life. Like, I know a lot about lots of your lives. And I so badly want victory for you. I so badly pray week in and week out that you would achieve the victory that Christ has bought for you. That you would live into that. That what is broken in relationship would be mended and restored and redeemed. I want this for you, too. I want so badly just to get over this. And Jesus is inviting us to stick into it this morning. He asks us to come and watch Matthew 26, 36 to 37. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, in case you can't see it, let me tell you what's happening. My soul is very sorrowful. Some of you wish that people would talk this plainly to you. I don't know, what's, I don't know what you're feeling, but if you talk to me like this, then it's clear. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Got it. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus doesn't want them to miss the fullness of his heart, the fullness of his life, the fullness of his ministry. Life will come through Jesus, but it's going to come through his death. Joy is going to come. It's going to be broken forth in the morning, but there is going to be a dark night of the soul and suffering that happens before that. Glory will be crowned on his head. But first, there will be a painful crown of thorns that gets placed on his head. Watch what's about to happen. This is his invitation. Don't fast forward past this. And I think that we wrestle with, I know I do, of Jesus being the son of suffering. Mostly, I think I wrestle with that because I don't want to be a son and you don't want to be a daughter of suffering. And it's difficult that we've been called to follow the way of Jesus. And then this is the shenanigans that he pulls on us. We want to get to victory with Jesus. And so we keep saying these phrases over our lives. I am a chosen, highly favored son and daughter of the king. And that is true if you're in Christ. This is true. But look at God's one and only Son. Look at the King of Kings, bloody on a cross. Look at him in the garden, depressed and anxious. If this is true for Jesus, why would we expect anything different in our story? 
if we don't see and embrace Jesus as victor and sufferer, then we actually miss the real Jesus. And if we keep skipping past our own pain and suffering and numbing out and checking out, then we actually miss the real us, who Jesus is making us into. Jesus did not push off his pain. He did not, like, just, just skirt around it. He wasn't giving himself a pep talk in the garden saying, come on, Jesus, don't feel this way. You're the son of God. You got no right. You know what happens after this. Come on, buddy, suck it up. That's not what he did to himself. He laid down, face in the dirt, and felt every feel. And he said, please watch. Please watch. Please know this is coming for you. Please know that I've walked this road before you. Jesus shows us how to walk through pains and trials, and he does it just, I mean, there's nobody like Jesus. I had a bad week. I didn't return some text messages because I just, I just was stuck, and so I'm sorry. This is a public apology for those I didn't text back. And I had a bad week. Like, there was a lot on my plate. Jesus is in the garden about to be crucified, He's weary unto death. He's depressed unto death. His soul is quivering and, and is just shrinking inside of him. And he still teaches his disciples what to do. There is no man like Jesus. There is no one like him. Going a little further, verse 39 he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have such good intentions in this room. I have such good intentions to do what God's called me to do. And then I hit the snooze button every day of my life. Jesus is telling these men, he's actually warning them. He's, he's, he's poking them right now. And he's saying that this is what you're going to, you're going to face trials. And you're going to face pain. And you're going to want to watch to see how I do this I'm the son of man, and you are a son of man, and you can do what I'm doing, but you've got to watch how I do this thing. Keep our eyes on him. He doesn't stop with just watch because Jesus isn't like a boring teacher who just has a whiteboard and just kind of, no offense to whiteboard teachers in here. But the best teachers, which honestly we have dozens in this church, is that you don't give information, you give your life, and you do it. You do it when the kids suck. You do it when it's hard. You do it when you don't get paid enough. You do it when you have a bad attempt. You keep at it. You're a good teacher. Jesus is the best teacher. The best. And so he doesn't just say, watch what I do. He actually says, engage with what I do. And he says engage by saying this, watch and pray. We are a people of prayer. It's one of the things that mark us. That, that, that actually defines us as Jesus followers. We don't vote a certain way. We pray a certain way. This is what we do in this family. And prayer is, is, is keeping our hearts set in relationship with him. 
So we've got our eyes set on him, but we engage in prayer to keep our hearts connected with him. We don't passively sit and wait for God to do something in our pain and suffering or in our situations. We engage in prayer. We keep our eyes on him, and we keep our relationship connected right in the midst of trials and pain. Jesus, glorious Jesus, in the midst of his pain, takes time to model for us how to do this. Watch what he does. He keeps a posture of humility. He speaks to his father, and he keeps at it over and over again. Matthew 26, 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. Suffering in isolation or without Jesus will lead to a form of bitterness in your life. No doubt about it. But suffering in the way that Jesus calls us and teaches us to, it will create in us a humility. We have no other choice but to humble ourselves and wait and watch with him. And our humility will lead to obedience. If you can get this first move down of posturing yourself with humility before God, you can and will move in obedience. Verse 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He's getting shorter and punchier with his obedience. I don't want to do this at all. But your will be done. Hey, God, just to remind you, what I said earlier, I meant it. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do what you say to do. We can look at this and again, we can say like, well, that's Jesus, right? Like Jesus is the son of God. Of course, he's like this with God. Of course, he gets it. He understands. He's got superpowers. He can, it just makes sense. He's Jesus. But again, Jesus is truly human. He's not showing you how the son of God does it. He's showing you how you, a child of God, can press in during trials and pain. Jesus could pray like this in the garden because it wasn't his first time praying in the garden like this. It wasn't his first time praying like this at all in his life. He lived a perpetual life of surrender and submission and obedience. He's actually been training for this moment. Do you remember what he did before he chose his disciples? He went and asked his father who he should choose. What do you think he thought when he said, choose those guys? Are you sure? Getting a, getting a little bad reception around here, Lord. You want the who? You want the what guy? Jesus has made it his habit of coming to the father submitting and laying down his plans and saying yes to what he has. He's been in training. Hebrews 7 or Hebrews 5, 7 to 8. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. Why? Because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. All rights on the table. What a man. The garden is actually where he found his resolve and strength to give himself on the cross. The cross was a battle. We could all agree with that. There's a visual pain. 
that we can see, that we wince at, that we actually don't want to make eye contact with. But that battle, what turned the tide, what made that possible, is the battle that happens in the garden, in the secret place. The resolve that he has in his heart to say, I go to the cross. No one puts me there. No one drags me there. I walk there with confidence because the Father said, that's where I'm walking. No one takes my life. I lay my life down. That battle was affected by this one. Drops of blood sweating from his head and his heart firm on God's will. Jesus' life was not marked by just some generic submission. Like, oh, he's such a submissive person. Because it kind of sounds weak, right? Like, he was a human doormat. He wasn't marked by just generic submission. He was marked, his life was marked by submission to the Father. No one told Jesus what to do. <laughs> not his mom, not his followers, nobody except the Father. He did everything the Father told him to do. Jesus isn't just throwing up a desperate prayer into the sky. This is not what he's saying. Are you in distress? Then throw up the bat signal and just start flailing around, and God will come to you because he feels sorry for you. No. He speaks to his Father. Remember, this is how he's taught us to pray. Earlier on in Matthew 6, what is he, how do we pray as Christians? Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus isn't just giving lessons. He is living it out right now. And he's calling us to do the exact same thing. This isn't a script to memorize. This is an invitation to walk in this way, to grow in this relationship with your father. He also didn't say like one prayer and move on. I love it. He goes three times in this direction. And apparently, the first time was an hour long. There's a good chance that all of these, since he prayed the same thing, he's in this state for hours. We chuck prayer because it didn't work. No, 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 I tried prayer. Did you? What was that prayer like for you? I'm not saying it, it, the sincerity level. I'm just saying the intensity and the repetition of. Because that's how Jesus prayed. That's the model that he left for us, not one and done. Hey, no, I said my prayer. No, I did the thing. No, I read the script verbatim. Nothing happened. Yet. We're in an intense season, and I believe this is true for everybody. Some of you, you've, you're, you're dealing with pain. Some of you, you're dealing with apathy. Some of you, you're just dealing with life on planet Earth right now. And this is what we're in need of. We're in need of intense prayer, intense communion and connection with God. By the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit, we actually can do this. We can live humbly and submitted to God. It's 
possible for you. I know you've tried it a few times, but get back in because he said it's possible for you. We actually now hold a position of a son or a daughter with God. This is who he is to us now because of Jesus' work on the cross. We're not coming just as beggars. We're coming as kids. And I'm telling you, my kids will interrupt you and they'll get preference over you. I love you, but not as much as them. Because we have his Holy Spirit in us, we actually have what it takes to press in and press on like this. I know that whatever you've decided of yourself, I'm not that spiritual. Like, I love that his disciples, like, they're in. They're they're following him, right? They want in on the community aspect. But they're going to let the holy man do what the holy man does. Ah, we're cool. We'll just take a little snoozers while you handle all of that heavy lifting. This is not... (laughs) This is not what he's called us into, the richness of life with God. What he's actually called us into, what he's actually equipped us to do is to be those who press in and persevere, those who give our lives willingly to whatever he calls us to. It is possible in you, not because I'm saying it, but because he's saying it, because the spirit that raised Christ from dead is now at work in you. That's what's happening in you. So shut off whatever posts you're reading and shut off whatever test that you took that said you were this way and you can't be any other way. Shut it off and listen to the spirit that is at work in you. We get a picture of Jesus' humanity, and I do just, I feel like, man, I want, Lord, would you help us see it? God, would you actually help us believe that you were flesh and blood, that you actually are acquainted, that you know pain and suffering, that you've walked the road before us. Holy Spirit, would you right now just infuse in our minds and in our spirits a supernatural strength that actually believes on this, that believes in this, Lord, that you have what it takes, that you actually did this. It's not just a theory. It's not just a good idea, but it's reality, Lord. Would you help us? Would you give us that, God? Jesus is truly human still to this day. And make no mistake, He's also truly God still to this day. We get to see this picture really clear in what Jesus was praying. Jesus kept praying about this cup of suffering passing from him. And we know that probably that has some to do with what's about to happen on the cross and all of the events that lead up to that. We know that that's a part of what he's actually going to be consuming with this cup. And, and, and that is true, but it's actually worse than that. 2 Corinthians 5.2, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not just a humiliating, agonizing, physical death that Jesus is about to enter in and consume on our behalf. He's actually going to become your sin and my sin. And the whole world's sin, we're talking start to finish, all poured out 
onto Jesus. What this cup is, is the cup of God's wrath. And I know that we don't have a lot of songs about that that we sing in the morning here, but it is his love on full display. God's wrath is his love poured out. Every wrong, every injustice, a cup of wrath is waiting to be poured out to make all things right. What you thought you got away with in secret, surprise, not so secret. What, what, what was done to you and you've been waiting for justice to come, it is coming. There is a cup that's filled with it. And God's love, God's wrath is what fills this cup. In Jeremiah 25, it talks about the cup of wrath, and it's terrifying. You can read it. I mean, it's, Jeremiah has to prophesy this to the nations. And he said, you're going to drink this. You have no choice but to drink this. And it's wild. It talks about like vomiting, blood, and all of this stuff. This is yours. This is what you drink. It's scary. And then in Isaiah, Isaiah 51, there's a prophecy about one coming from God that will take the cup that has been plaguing the people of God and will consume every drop of it so that the people of God will no longer experience what is in that cup. And we know that that is Jesus. That's Jesus' cup. That's his rightful place. That is his mission. That is what he is stepping into on our behalf because we couldn't do that. I love that right before this passage, we didn't read it, but we're going to experience it at Monday, Thursday around the dinner table. Jesus has this conversation and he asks, he, he talks about this cup and he asks his disciples, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And you know what his disciples say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we could totally drink it. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'll drink two of them, Jesus, if it's for you. Come on. It's so loving and so kind and so full of truth. It says, no, this cup you won't drink. You will drink your own cup of suffering. You don't get out of this, but this cup, this is mine and mine alone. And all of those disciples drank from a cup of suffering, tortured, crucified upside down, torn in pieces, abandoned by family members. And they all are shouting, he's worth it today in heaven. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. We will have victory. We will. It's guaranteed. It's in the bag, baby. But it's only through the atoning shedding of blood from Jesus' life. This is it. We'll have our own 
cups that we drink of, and some of you are feeling it now. Some of you are filled with it now. The pain and the suffering of life, the betrayal, the, all of this, you, you actually are very familiar. And Jesus wants you to lean in this morning and know you're not alone and know that you're not hopeless and you're not helpless. The guarantee on this side of life, we don't know because unfortunately there's a bunch of humans involved over here. But what's on the other side is a guarantee, absolute. No one can pluck that from our hands. Jesus refers to himself often in Matthew as the son of man. And this actually has much more to do than just being a man, being a human, although this is who he is. It's his favorite title in the Gospel of Matthew. You hear him over and over again, even at the end of this, the Son of Man's about to be handed over to sinners. He constantly is reminding people, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your betrayal, in the midst of all of the agony that you're in right now, remember who I am. I am the Son of Man that was prophesied about in Daniel 7. In my vision... Daniel says, at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days, God, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Remember, this is Jesus. Jesus.